everything is moving along. Great. Thank you. So we are live and we are thanking God for everyone's presence as we go live and praise God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just welcome everyone. This is our, our AGS ministry Thursday night, uh, the Tabernacle of Fire in You podcast, our weekly podcast, and we're, we're lifting up the name of Jesus. But before I pray, I want to pray for him, our guest, our special guest today. Uh, and again, for those of you coming on, this is live Zoom uh, recorded on Facebook streaming, and it'll be up later on Facebook and on our blog page and, and other social media links. But our special guest tonight is Professor Michael uh, West, and, and Professor West is a uh, educator and who has pursued education includes his BA uh, in politics and he's from Lake Forest College. He has an AM and BA in mathematics from history and history at Harvard University and he has his PhD from Harvard University. Professor Michael O. West is a professor of American studies, history and African studies at the uh, Pennsylvania State University. Professor West is the author of The Rise of an American Middle Class, Colonial Zimbabwe, 1890-1965, and co-edited with William Martin, Out of One, Many Africas, Reconstructing the Study and Meaning of Africa, and that was published in 1999. And if you go and look at all the articles that he has uh, been a part of and published, it's phenomenal, his depth of writing. And he has published broadly in fields of Southern Africa history, Pan-Africanism, African studies, African diaspora uh, studies, and African-American studies. Professor West's current research centers on the Black power movement and global perspectives, including a forthcoming book of Gwami Nkrumah uh, on Black power. And, and he was, I believe, a, a leader uh, I, I'll let you explain. I think it was out of Ghana uh, from, oh, from yes. years back, and, and Black theology is an internal part of his work. His topic tonight, as I shared early on, I'll share it again tonight, our special guest, Professor Michael O. West, and his topic tonight on the Tabernacle of Fire in You is God is no respecter of persons, the Black church and the Black freedom struggle. And so, Father, we just thank you right now for everyone that's on the line. We ask everyone to please put your phones on mute. If you walk away from your computer and you're on Zoom, please black your screens out. Um, but we thank you, God, for this opportunity. Elder Jennifer Seals and I of AJS Ministry, we thank God for every opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to continue lifting up your name. Lord, you said if we lift up the name of Jesus, you will draw all people unto you. And so, Lord, we thank you for divine connection. We thank you for the power of prayer. We thank you for miracle signs and wonders because we're asking and believing that you turn our world around and draw us all closer, oh God. That that respect, that God is a is not a respecter of persons, that, that we get to that place in our relationship in the body of Christ of believers, that we are truly connected and flow in the spirit. So, Lord, we thank you for the speaker. We ask you to continue to guard his heart, his mind as this podcast goes forth. And we lift up your name and give you all the praise, honor, and glory. Welcome, Professor West. And we thank you. And I do want to thank your sister, Evangelist uh, Curling West Hastings, for being such a, uh, um, an instrument of love of God and, and her work and her commitment to the body of Christ. 
and her willingness to share and to encourage others as she does in so many different uh, venues um, of life. So God bless you, uh, uh, Sister Curleen, uh, Evangelist, Mother Curleen, all those titles are correct. So we thank God for her. And welcome right now, Professor, you are, you are live and we turn it over to you. Amen. Welcome, everybody. I'm not going to try to raise, speak to everybody's name individually, but please know that you are truly welcome on this uh, podcast, The Tabernacle of Fire in You. And it's the Spirit of God that's the fire. Hallelujah. Thank Professor. You, thank you, Elder Seals. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Turn up just a little bit because I got mine kind of loud and I, I can, and I know you're standing up, so you may be a few feet away from your speaker, but you sound good. Just a little bit louder. Is it, is it, is it better now? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I uh, want to thank you, um, uh, Ella Seals and Ella. Please fill out this questionnaire. You know, uh, let me remind everybody, we, you're on live. Please put your phones. I don't want to call your names out. Please put your phones on mute. And as you're talking, I'm going to go in and see if I can mute everybody. But go right ahead, Professor. Um, yes, I, um, I want to thank um, the AJS ministry, um, as personified by you, Elder Seals, and um, Elder Anton Seals, and Elder Jennifer Seals. Uh, for the invitation to appear um, uh, on this platform. Um, it is my custom um, on these occasions to um, aim for um, maybe 30 minutes, 35 minutes or so. Um, and I will try to stay in that uh, ballpark this evening. Yes, sir. Uh, my subject is the interconnection uh, between uh, the Black Church and the Black freedom struggle in the United States of America. <clears throat> As an organizing principle, um, I wish to use a biblical passage uh, from the book of Acts uh, in, the, in, in the New Testament, uh, wherein the disciple Peter asserts that God is no respecter of persons. Um, and Peter goes on, uh, to say, and I quote, in every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted by him. Now, listeners familiar with that book will readily realize that I am quoting from the King James Bible. Um, it is not a book that is used very much um, anymore, uh, the King James Bible. Um, contemporary readers are wary of it. Um, they say it's, it's archaic, it's quaint, um, it is um, somewhat beyond their comprehension. <laughs> uh, but the King James Bible has not always been uh, incomprehensible. Uh, as late as a couple of generations ago, um, uh, the King James Bible was very com comprehensible to readers, including uh, those with um, limited formal education. <laughs> uh, more to the point, though, um, the King James Bible was... Uh, a foundational rock um, on which the Black church and the Black freedom struggle um, was constructed in the United States. And speaking of the King James Bible, I would um, uh, especially commend uh, this version 
called the original African Heritage uh, uh, Edition, um, which um, and the iconography and um, the hymnals and um, sayings and essays and so forth um, that are a part of this uh, Bible um, speak to uh, the African heritage and um, Africa uh, in the Bible. <clears throat> Amen. Um, but it's not just the black experience um, or the black church or the black struggle. Um, the English language itself, the way the English language is, is spoken today, uh, its evolution over the past 400 years, uh, all have been decisively influenced. Praise God. Father, in the name of Jesus, welcome everyone. This is our. Yes, all have been um, influenced by this book called the King James Bible. Now, in the story of the Black um, freedom struggle in the United States, um, several tropes and sayings, all from the King James Bible, um, have recurred, have been repeated over time. Um, one of those tropes is the Exodus story, which is, of course, a journey from slavery to freedom. Uh, naturally, enslaved African Americans Indeed, even African-American um, uh, who were enslaved and were not Christian um, were attracted to the Exodus story and its starring figure, Moses. Another trope uh, common um, in the US black freedom struggle and grounded in the King James Bible uh, is what I call the Ethiopian expectation. The Ethiopian expectation is centered in the Psalms, um, specifically Psalm 68, 31 which asserts that princes shall come out of Egypt and yeah. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Now, the small minority of African-Americans who were free before slavery ended in the United States were especially fond of um, uh, this um, uh, passage, which I'm referring to as the Ethiopian expectation. Uh, to them, um, Psalm 68:31 foretold the end of black oppression, um, uh, not just in the United States, uh, but indeed uh, throughout the world. The Ethiopian ex expectation was to the free blacks what the Exodus story was to the enslaved people. A third uh, biblical trope, uh, the foundation of the black freedom struggle, that is in addition to the um, Exodus story and the Ethiopian expectation is what I call um, racial oneness, racial oneness. Um, and this is the idea um, uh, which drew its inspiration from uh, the book of Acts again, 1726, uh, wherein the writer asserts, um, and I quote, um, God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell and all the face of the earth. Um, as conceived by its black exponents, uh, racial oneness was a rebuke to those persons, and they would have included um, the US founder, Thomas Jefferson, who argued that the various so-called races of humankind had different origins, and that, those, and that those races were based on a hierarchy of superiority and inferiority. Uh, and furthermore, that people of African descent fell at the bottom or near the bottom of the so-called racial hierarchy. 
These three biblically inspired tropes, the Exodus story, the Ethiopian expectation, racial oneness, became central to the black struggle uh, for freedom early on, um, as early as the time of the uh, US or American revolution. But there was a fourth, fourth trope um, that summarized the first three ones. Like the trope of racial oneness, uh, this fourth trope um, draws from the Book of Acts. Uh, it is that God is no respecter of persons, which is to say that God is impartial. I call this uh, divine impartiality, divine impartiality, uh, meaning that God does not discriminate. Uh, God has no favorites. Uh, as defined by race or ethnicity or nationality or gender uh, or any um, uh, such uh, factor. In sum, God is a just God. God is on the side of struggling humanity. God is on the side of justice, on truth, on the side of truth and on the side of equality. The doctrine of divine um, uh, impartiality was promoted was promoted both within and outside the Black Church. As much as any other institution, however, uh, the Black Church served as a repository for this sort of divine impartiality. Um, we first, uh, well, we, we, we encountered this uh, trope um, outside the church as well. Um, uh, uh, for instance, um, uh, in the um, uh, slave narratives. Um, but before I come to the slave narratives, let me say a word about um, uh, the first place I can pick up this trope is uh, in the years leading up to the US um, uh, Declaration of Independence. The year was 1773. Um, the U.S. Declaration of Independence was, of course, in 1776. And in that year, 1773, an enslaved uh, person uh, by the name of Felix, uh, just one name, Felix, um, name of uh, my late uh, brother, now gone on to glory. Um, anyway, Felix petitioned the uh, city of Boston for his freedom. Um, and in the course of his petition, he invoked this doctrine of divine impartiality, as I'm calling it. Felix had the following to say, and I quote, God who loves mankind, who sent his son to die for their salvation, and who is no respecter of persons, hath lately put it in the hearts of multitudes on both sides of the water to bear our, bur to, to bear our burdens, some of whom are men of great note and influence who have pleaded our cause. But now, end of quotation, but now Felix is going to plead his own cause. That is the cause for emancipation, for an end to slavery. He was not alone. Felix was not alone in making that plea. Nowhere was the emancipation uh, pleadings, were the um, emancipation pleadings more vigorous and vital than in the slave narratives, the slave narratives. Slave narratives were the life stories or autobiographies of individuals who had, en who had endured slavery, had somehow managed to escape from it, and then lived to write about their experiences. 
The narratives of these survivors, survivors of slavery, were an essential part of the abolitionist movement or the campaign against slavery. Some abolitionists, which is to say, uh, some of those individuals involved in the anti-slavery campaign appeal directly to the enslaved people. Uh, one of those was uh, Henry Highland Garnett. Garnett was a free uh, African-American and a Presbyterian minister. In 1843, he made a famous appeal to the enslaved people. Uh, in the course of which uh, he had the following to say, and I quote, liberty is in the spirit sent out from God. And like all, and like its great author, liberty is no respecter of persons. End of quotation. You seem to have uh, some interference here, Elder Seals. Can you? Uh, whoever is, um, uh, who, uh, who has, uh, has an open mic or has muted um, uh, their microphone, would you please do so? I'm here and I, I'm trying to find that individual. I've got you on screen, so I just see your face and everyone else at the top. I'm going back to the gallery. Please, again, put your phones on mute. Please put your phones on mute. I am going to go, go ahead. I'm going to go back and just individually mute everybody because I don't want to cut you off. Um, okay. we'll, we'll have question and answers afterwards and then you could, we'll take everybody off and, and they can come back in. All right, very good. So, so that was Henry Helen Garnett um, uh, making an appeal to the slaves in the year 1843. Uh, John Brown was certainly in agreement with that appeal. He is a most peculiar personality in the African-American experience, uh, John Brown. He dramatically appeared on the stage of history in 1859, 16 years after Garnett's appeal to the enslaved people. Except Brown's appeal was more dramatic, far more dramatic than Garnett's had been. Garnett had appealed in words by making a speech to the enslaved people, asking them to go. Brown also appealed to the enslaved people in words, but he did so indeed as well. John Brown led a daring attack, as is well known, on a US military base with the aim of seizing weapons to arm enslaved people for a revolt. There is, another, there is another difference between these two agitators of slave revolts, John Brown and Garnett. Garnett was black, Brown was white. There are still many in the African-American uh, freedom struggle today who swear that John Brown is the only white man who is worthy of their respect. Like many of those who, who, uh, who led slave revolts, including the Baptist preacher Nat Turner, John Brown paid the ultimate price. His career as an anti-slavery uh, activist ended at the cross of the executioner's rope. Standing before um, the Richmond, Virginia court, which condemned him to death, John Brown was the very picture of serenity and confidence. At the ripe old age of 59, 
he told the court, and I quote, I am yet too young to understand that God is no respecter of persons. John Brown was still insisting on the doctrine of divine impartiality as he sat in his jail, in his jail cell, waiting for his appointed time with the hangman's noose. He, along with others who made other down payments on the emancipation plan, uh, did not labor in vain. Brown's attack would help to hasten the coming of the US Civil War and with it, the coming of, in, of emancipation, which the enslaved people likened to the coming of the law. Freedom had been retrieved from the layaway. The old timers under the sound of my voice uh, will of course rem remember the old layaway plan. <laughs> um, many, uh, uh, many, uh, uh, a Christmas suit or an Easter suit to be more, uh, <laughs> an Easter outfit to be more precise, uh, were purchased on the old layaway plan. That was the days before uh, with, um, uh, a credit card and that sort of thing. <clears throat> now, Marcus Garvey was part of the great layaway plan for a fuller freedom. Garvey, who came, who came along some few generations later, um, was also a noted believer in the doctrine of divine impartiality. Uh, and Garvey, as could be expected, had a few good things to say about John Brown and his labor. John Brown had come against slavery. Garvey came against what replaced slavery. That is to say, the system of apartheid called curiously in the United States of America, Jim Crow, which was slavery by another name, slavery by other means, a second slavery, if you like. Garvey also came against another form of slavery that had descended on Africa and Africans in the era of Jim Crow uh, called this form of slavery called colonialism. In his day, Garvey was the, was the loudest, well, at least one of the loudest anyhow, uh, one of the loudest, loudest voices speaking in opposition uh, to both forms of slavery, Jim Crow and colonialism. In doing so, he drew on a long tradition, a tradition of deploying biblical tropes in the service of black liberation here, there, and everywhere. Running down the list of outrages, visited on people of African descent worldwide, in and out of the, the United States, uh, Garvey remarked as follows, and I quote him. Beat the Negro, uh, brutalize the Negro, kill the Negro, burn the Negro, imprison the Negro, scoff at the Negro, deride the Negro. It may come back to you one of these fine days because the supreme destiny of man in the hands of God. And then came Garvey's punchline. He continued, and I quote uh, again, God is no respecter of persons, whether that person is white, black, or yellow. Today, one races up, tomorrow it has fallen. Today, the Negro seems to be the footstool of other races and nations of the world. Tomorrow, the Negro may occupy the highest rung on the great human ladder, 
End of quotation. In addition to divine impartiality, Gavi had also summed up the vision of the Ethiopian expectation. That is the vision that princes would descend from Egypt. And it should be noted that Gavi saw himself as one such prince and that Ethiopia's outstretched hands uh, would beckon God. That was a, a recapitulation of the vision that Africa, meaning people of African descent throughout the world or black humanity would rise again. But the Bible, including the biblical tropes historically associated with uh, black liberation um, was something of a double-edged sword. In other words, it was a weapon that could be wielded uh, uh, for good or for evil, for freedom or for slavery, for liberation or for oppression. <clears throat> we have been discussing the idea of divine impartiality as an instrument in the service of black liberation. Frederick Douglass, however, encountered a situation in which that scripture seemed to be turned against uh, black people. He is a storied figure in the story of, black of the black liberation struggle in the United States of America, Frederick Douglass. Mention has already, been, has already been made of the slave narratives. Frederick Douglass, a former slave, wrote the best known slave narrative in the history of the United States. Three years after authoring his own freedom, by a surreptitiously uh, escaping bondage, and four years before writing his famous slave narrative, Douglas attended Sunday, school, Sunday morning service at a Methodist church in Massachusetts. Douglas's experience uh, at the church is best described in his own words, and nobody, uh, what nobody could write like Frederick Douglass. Um, uh, he was, um, uh, without doubt, the greatest orator uh, in the United States of America uh, uh, in the 19th century, <clears throat> if not of, of all times. <clears throat> Here is Frederick Douglass uh, describing his experience at that church. And I quote, the white people gathered around the altar, the blacks clustered by the door. After the good white minister had served out the bread and wine to one portion of those near him, he said, these may withdraw and others come forward. Thus he proceeded till all the white members had been served. Then he took a long breath and looking out towards the door exclaimed, come up, come up, colored friends, come up, for you know God is no respecter of persons. End of quotation. <laughs> um, Frederick Douglass uh, said he never returned to that church. Uh, well, he did. Attitudes and practices like those of that uh, minister encountered uh, by Douglass in that Massachusetts church led to the creation of the black church in the United States of America. The year was 1787. 1787 was also the year the United States Constitution was ratified. The same constitution that also ratified slavery and, ensure, and enshrined white supremacy. 
The place was Philadelphia, right here in the state of Pennsylvania from, which I, uh, from where I speak. The site was the city's American, American Methodist Episcopal Church. A group of black people, newly freed, were deep in prayer at the altar one Sunday morning when they were rudely pulled from their knees by the church deacons. The black worshipers were informed that they were welcome to pray, but they could do so in the balcony. They could not pray, they were told, in the front of the church, which was an exclusive white preserve. That incident would produce the first black denomination in the United States. The aggrieved black worshipers withdrew from the American Methodist Episcopal Church and eventually formed the African Methodist Episcopal Church. You will note the distinction here between American and African. Over the past three decades or so, it has become fashionable for black people in the United States to call themselves African Americans, uh, but that is a relatively recent uh, development. Um, it was certainly not the practice in the early United States. Then American, as in the American Methodist Episcopal Church meant white, while African, as in the African Methodist Episcopal Church meant black. One can readily tell the age of an African, well, let, let, me, let me back away from that term African-American. One can readily uh, uh, tell the age of a black organization in the United States by its name. If African is in the name, it was likely founded before 1820, like the AME church. If, however, colored appears in the name, as in the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, that organization was probably founded between 1820 and 1910, which, by the way, is the founding date, 1910, of the NAACP. If the organization is named Negro, as in Marcus Garvey's group, the Universal Negro Improvement Association, it was likely founded between 1910 and 1960. If the word black or Afro-American is part of an organization's name, then there's a good likelihood it was established between 1960 and 1988. It was only after 1988 that African-American became the preferred name of choice for people of African descent in the United States. <clears throat> in the lifetime, I would think of, um, I'm looking at the screen here, uh, almost uh, uh, everyone on the sound of my voice. <clears throat> uh, for some of us, uh, two lifetimes ago. <clears throat> now, the evolution of these names, uh, of these name changes, uh, uh, can be traced in numerous institutions, and they can certainly be, be traced in the Black churches, beginning with the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Some Black Baptist congregations were organized even before 
the creation of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the first Baptist Church of Savannah, Georgia, which is still a functioning congregation, claims to be the oldest black church in the United States. Um, it traces its origin back to 1773, which of course was the same year that uh, our enslaved friend Felix uh, in Boston, Massachusetts petitioned for his freedom. An alternate name for African in that era was Ethiopian which derived from the Ethiopian expectation from the Psalm 6831. Still another name for African in this early era was Abyssinian, as in the Abyssinian Baptist Church, famously of New York City, which was founded in the year 1810. Taken together, the early black Baptist congregations had more members than the Methodist and the African Methodist Episcopal Church and other Methodist denominations, such as the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church um, or the African Methodist Episcopal Colored Church, which was subsequently changed to Christian. They, uh, they changed Christian to colored, but still were able to keep the, um, the, the acronym CME, <coughs> Christian Methodist Episcopal. Um, right. Okay. Now the difference though, um, uh, the difference though um, was that um, unlike the various Methodist formations, the Black Baptists were not organized into a denomination. It was only in 1880, after the Civil War and slavery ended, that the first Black, that the first Black Baptist denomination I want to say, was formed. It was called the National Baptist Convention. Much more so than the Methodist denominations, the National Baptist Convention would become the spiritual home of the freed people or the ex-slaves. The Baptist tradition of independent congregations without an administrative hierarchy was ideally suited to the enslaved people and their great religious creation, namely the slave church. The result was that most of the freed people came out of slavery with a Baptist orientation. And the National Baptist Convention would become the great beneficiary of that Baptist tradition among the enslaved people. This is not to say, of course, that the Black Methodist denominations uh, did not also experience an increase in membership and expansion with the end of slavery. It is to say that the growth of the Black Baptist congregations was even greater, resulting ultimately, as noted, in the creation of the National Baptist Convention. The largest of the Black Baptist of the, of, the, of the Black Methodist denominations, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, had been banned from the slaveholding South in the year 1822, when members of one of its congregations in Charleston, South Carolina, were involved in an anti-slavery plot. That plot was led by one Denmark Vesey, a former slave and deacon in the Charleston AME congregation. 
Like all of those accused of plotting slave revolts or engaging in slave revolts, such as Nat Turner and John Brown, Vizi and, he, and his co-conspirators were given appointments with the hangman's notes. They were, in other language, executed, murdered by the state of South Carolina for the crime of seeking to overthrow slavery. Meanwhile, the AME church remained banned in the slaveholding cells. After emancipation, however, the ban was lifted and the AME church returned to the south. As it did so, it made a point of rebuilding the church in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, which the slaveholders had desecrated and destroyed in the wake of Denmark Visa's plot. The reconstituted AME congregation in Charleston was called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God is with us. A century and a half later, tragedy would again strike Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston. The year was 2015, a mere six years or so ago. An avowed white supremacist by the name of Dylan Roof, Dylan Storm Roof, he called himself, Storm in, as in the Nazi stormtrooper, Dylan Storm Roof murdered, you will recall, nine black worshipers at Emmanuel. Now, in storming Emmanuel, Dylan Storm Roof did not just strike against black lives, which to him, obviously did matter. To him, rather, Emmanuel was a symbol. In slain worshippers at Emmanuel, Dylan Stormroof was also attempting to slay the tradition of black resistance in the United States of America itself uh, in an outer slavery. His was an attack on the legacy of the Visa conspiracy and with it, an attack on the legacy of the black church and the Blacks' freedom struggle in the United States of America, then and now. <clears throat> a distinction must be made between Black Christians and the Black church. Black people uh, can be found in practically every Christian group or denomination in the United States of America, uh, from the Catholic Church uh, to practically all of the Protestant denominations. But black Christians are one thing. The black church is another thing altogether. The black church uh, consists of those denominations and congregations that were established by black folk, that are led by black folk and whose congregants are predominantly, I did not say exclusively, but predominantly black. By that yardstick, the black church today is made up primarily, primarily, although not exclusively, of three Protestant denominations. These are the black Baptists, the black Methodists, and the black Pentecostals. The Baptists and Methodists formed the core of the black church coming out of slavery. The Pentecostals are a more recent addition. The Pentecostal movement emerged in the United States in the early part of the 20th century, which is to say the early, the early 1900s. As a movement, uh, Pentecostalism owed 
much of its origin to black people. Indeed, the rise and development of Pentecostalism would become the single most important theme in the 20th century, underlying 20th century history of Christianity worldwide, not just in the United States of America, but everywhere in the world. And of course, as could be expected, the Pentecostal fire also caught on among black people in the United States. To the point where today, there are as many black Pentecostals as there are black Methodists and black Baptists. Collectively, um, these three uh, uh, denominations now constitute uh, the greater bulk, not the entirety, but the greater bulk of the black church. As is well known, uh, the black church would play a major role um, in the black freedom struggle in the, middle, in the middle decades of the past century. It was a struggle called the civil rights movement that centered on emancipation from Jim Crow, the second slavery that followed the first one. On the whole, um, the black church um, seemed to have become less engaged and the ongoing freedom struggle in the wake of the successes of the civil rights movement. Less engaged, perhaps, but not disengaged. As we speak, and I'm coming uh, to my conclusion now, um, LCs, I hope I haven't uh, exceeded my 35, uh, my, uh, my, my own uh, 35. No, 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 uh, no, no. If I, uh, Go if, right ahead. Go, I'm go going right to, ahead. I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to conclude. So, yeah. um, I, if I could just ask you to continue for maybe another 15 minutes. I, 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 I don't think so. I, I didn't come prepared to. Well, we'll, 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 we'll open it up for comments and questions. The depth of your knowledge. Uh, well, um, I, I just sense in my spirit that you have me. There's so much more. And we'll we'll definitely will invite you to come back. And I don't uh, want to well, dream. Um, uh, that, that, this, that, that, is, this is. That, that will have to be carefully negotiated. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about that, but I, 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 I do want you to conclude as you, as you so are moved to do so and, and open it up for any comments and questions. I, um, I, I do know there's a lot that people are taking away from this. It's been a phenomenal uh, but uh, teaching. I, I, I have not, I, I'm, I'm going to conclude that. I have not yet concluded. I want to conclude on, and, uh, on, on, a, on a very contemporary note. Uh, and yes, that is the, the, uh, the ongoing protests at Howard University. Um, Howard University, the premier institution of higher learning, the premier African-American, and now I can use that term since we're talking 2021, the premier inst African-American institution of higher learning, Howard University. And right now, as we speak, um, there is a protest going on there. Students have occupied the administration building um, at Howard to demand the redress of grievances. A number of individuals um, have written in support of their actions. I haven't yet done so myself, but I should. Others have shown up on the Howard campus in a show of solidarity with the students. The latter have included an old face from the civil rights era. Uh, a person of Baptist preacher, 
not altogether unknown in the city of Chicago, uh, named Jesse Jackson. Now, as folks in Chicago where he has lived the greater part of his life well know, uh, Jesse, as he's, fondly as he's fondly called, is far from blameless. But whatever his faults, and they indeed are many, uh, Jesse has been on the battlefield called the Black Liberation struggle for a long time. And as they used to sing in the church in the old days, maybe they still do, he ain't got tired yet. He ain't got tired yet, despite being slowed down and flayed by this. Well, Jesse is a key representative of the Black church in our lifetime. The Black church, a facilitator of the Black freedom struggle. The Black church, the repository of the doctrine that God is no respecter of persons. The Black church, balm of black souls and non-black ones too. It has served and God willing will continue to serve. Um, thank you. Amen. I'm done. Uh, it, it is a powerful, let me come off just a speaker view. It is a powerful teaching uh, that gives such historical depth and, and then brings it to the contemporary I was not aware of any protests at Howard University, uh, but the teaching, the, the depths of your teaching, I'm gonna get out of the way. And uh, one of my dear friends who uh, has been so supportive and been involved with uh, the education of African-Americans in his community of Inglewood, Pastor St. John Chisholm, I'm gonna open it up with you and then then we'll take, uh, can we do about 10, 10 or 15 minutes, um, uh, if, if it's okay with you? Uh, yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. of course, of course. Um, um, and then so we'll just go as people uh, are led, but let's be mindful of his time and let's be respectful of how we come forth. Uh, Pastor St. John. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, I, my first comment is that I would like to refer to Michael as Professor Michael. Yes, <laughs> because that, yes. that was a great teaching, uh, professorial to the highest order, uh, took us through the entire Black experience. And uh, I, I was, I'm just blessed to receive the teaching and the connection of the struggle with the Black church. And I thank you, uh, Professor Michael, for clarity. Uh, uh, some things I did know, some things I didn't know. And so I thank you for continuing to expand our knowledge and and letting us know, you know, that uh, the thing that really struck me was your statement about the, the different doctrines, uh, you know, the um, Exodus, Ethiopian uh, expectation, uh, the uh, racial one, and then the one I love the most is divine impartiality, where, you know, again, for Black people under the stress they were, to be inspired by the concept of divine impartiality, to let them know that even in the midst of the storm, God's no respect of persons. And sooner or later, as you gave us Exodus 68 and 31, that God will make a way for us to be free. Uh -huh. And so, you know, I, I just thank you because we need to know how in the world did our people continue to go forward under those circumstances? And you've given us the spiritual foundation that allowed them to keep on uh, believing and hoping and seeing that there would be a day 
when the Savior would come and show us how to overcome those things of a, of a very racist uh, white consciousness. And, and Brother Michael, uh, you know, that racist consciousness is still alive today. We thank Dr. King and, and Reverend Jesse Jackson for the work they're doing, but we all have to continue to do our part because it has not removed itself. And so we're continuing to be inspired by speakers like you to know that the fight must continue, but also know that God is on our side. So my brother, uh, Professor Michael, I thank you so much for that wonderful dissertation. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Bless you. There's someone else. Uh, take your phones off mute. I just sent a uh, text out to everybody, chat out. If you take it off to ask the question of Doris, uh, Evans Doris, go right ahead. I, I just want to, I'm so grateful to hear um, you, Brother Michael West, um, minister, um, uh, doctorate. <laughs> uh, I just really enjoyed that. Uh, my, my son is, um, his uh, concentration, he's a doctor, he's, his concentration is the African diaspora. And this kind of thing, he talks to me all the time regarding this, but the idea of me being, I was a Baptist when I was, I was baptized at seven. And I understand the process better now. And I was definitely, uh, I was baptized, I knew the Lord, all of that, but even now, I've made a choice to be apostolic. But even in that, it's that the, the Pentecostal movement um, in the life of us as Blacks was started a long time ago. And, and I also en enjoyed the idea of the divine impartiality that uh, Frederick Douglass talked about. Um, uh, Marcus Darby and and excuse me, sister. May, may I um, uh, may I just explain? Uh, I'm running out of power source, and I have to go and pick up my um, no uh, I'm so uh, my, sorry. My charger. No, I'm going. I'm going to take it with me. I'm going to take it with me, so I can I can hear you. Praise God. I'm I'm just I'm just enthralled with the information that you gave, and I just appreciate you so. Praise God. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. As he's moving about there, thank you so much. Um, Evangelist Tisdale, if you're still there, um, I, I don't know if you'd like to make a comment. Anyone else, take your phones off. Um, um, Minister Reverend uh, uh, Bryant Warren, I, I know you do a lot of study in, in African-American histories and dealing with issues in our community. If you want to please make some comments, please uh, feel free. Um, we we would be blessed to hear from you. Well, praise the Lord, right everyone. Uh, I just want to say again, thank you to Dr. West. Anytime I have an opportunity to hear him, uh, I'm, I want to be online, but he's also blessed us at Victory with uh, lessons. And I, I just want to say that uh, there are so many conversations uh, in our country about uh, critical race theory and you know, what are, it is that our schools are being, uh, what our schools are teaching our kids. But I think that we have the talent and we see tonight uh, the talents 
and the skills to that we can start educating our own people. Uh, you know, I'm kind of tired of hearing about why it is that white people aren't teaching us about our own history when we have such talent within our own communities uh, that we can provide these type of education within our in our own communities and even even in our church. Why why can't there be a, a Sunday school class for young people that teaches Black history and the role that God has done for us, as uh, Dr. West has brought up, uh, from the trope of uh, Exodus to where we are now. And so Black history is uh, part of, of God's history as well. So uh, I just want to again thank Dr. West for all he's done, and then also Evangelist West uh, for bringing and introducing us to our community. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, is there another? Thank you, Allah. Yes. Uh, uh, how you doing, uh, Elder Seals and uh, Pastor, Pastor West? Uh, I recall you uh, at Sister Caroline's home. You and I shared a couple of meals together. Uh, this is uh, Brother Xavier. Um, thank you for such the, the history uh, uh, light bulb that you turned on uh, in yeah. me. Uh, I was basically just coming on here to listen because your sister invites me. When she invites me, you, you can't say no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> so, but I, I want to point this out since you took me into the history and you brought up some uh, resilient African American men that stood and they even risked their lives and their fault. But just recently, and I'm from Florida, I'm from Miami, and I and I was just doing a little history buff myself, and I, I I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the uh, Black Seminoles. You know, the Black Seminoles are the African-American Indians that fought Black and Indians fought together in Florida from the time of 1817, uh, 1812 to about 1858. They fought three wars against the United States uh, against slavery. Even before the Civil War, they were fighting down in Florida against slavery. They wasn't going for it. And it was the most expensive war that the United States has ever seen. It was a haven for runaway slaves. And we all think that the South has all been uh, just uh, Willie lynched and hanging people. But you had the greatest war that America had, had seen at that time uh, fighting with African-American men and also Indians, they were called the uh, Black Seminoles. Uh, they, they had great leaders. It says here that the uh, between 1812 and 1858, they fought three wars, several skirmishes, and three wars against the Seminoles and Maroon communities. The Black Seminoles were recognized for their aggressive military prowess during the first Seminole War. This was before um, the uh, Civil War. So here you have the Civil War that's coming from the North, which everybody thought that the North was coming to free the South. But in, in Florida, they were already free. It was only a 20-year period in which United States claimed Florida that slavery was allowed in Florida for, I want to say, 1858 to 1878 or 1848 to 1868 when slavery stopped. But they had fought wars and I just thank you for bringing up these these resilient men and, and also it went back to the Bible. God is no respect of person. You know, these Indians 
was stated that they so respected the freed slaves that they intermarried, they intermingled, yet they kept their own places of living, but there's no respected person. They shared similarities in religion with the style of dancing you may see now in the African-American church is probably a form of the Indian style of dancing that we see when we say someone has uh, got the Holy Ghost, if we can recall. And guys, I just, I'm just going get to out, get out the way here. I just thank you, Dr. West. We're going to eat again some jerk chicken next time I see you. <laughs> Sister Curleen. Oh, I'm going to join you. I'm going to join you. Amen. <laughs> Who, who, who's um, going to cook that chicken by the by the by the, by the Xavier? Um, uh, who's going to cook the chicken? But I, I I must say that you 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 gave me a title which I uh, I haven't earned and and, and do not uh, deserve, and that is pastor. I'm 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 only a lowly professor. <laughs> <laughs> well, pastor, well, thank you. We 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 uh, recognize the, the multiple gifts that you flow in. So praise God. Um, Edward Mack Peck, Edward Peck, uh, you have been requested. Uh, by our dear uh, heartfelt sister, Curleen West, if you would please make some comments. And also, I think that was Marjorie as well, could make some comments. Go right ahead, uh, uh, Brother Pat. Well, Professor West, this is, uh, I met you over dinner as well at Curleen's house. Uh, yes, yes, indeed we did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And 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 been invited by Curlin, but this I you know this is the second or third time that I've heard you speak, and it's always so informative and um, you know really intriguing to hear a history that we seldom taught um, and seldom learn, and, and and so it's just really always fascinating to hear, and uh, and uh, I I'm eager to learn more essentially. And I think the, um, you know, it really is fascinating to hear some of the things from 1773, you know, of, of how um, people fought and, and provoked or, or promoted their own freedoms. Um, and so I, I just am thankful that, that I learned kind of through a new perspective uh, from you and from your sisters. So um, I will continue to attend all your your talks. Um, uh, thank you, thank, thank you, thank you, Brother Peck. It's um, you know, it's um, uh, uh, you know, learning and teaching is never one way street. Um, where um, uh, you know, they uh, in the, in the old um, in the days of um, uh, Black Power, um, they used to say each one uh, you know teach one, um, uh, and so um, you know you um, uh, you teach uh, and you learn and you um, and you are taught at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the um, uh, that, that's our tradition. Yes, very much. Well, thank you. Thank you. Sister Curleen, I know you're there. Uh, we don't see your smiling face right now, but we'd love for you to um, close us out with your comments. And if there's one other uh, system, was that Michelle that put a hand up? Somebody put a hand up? That's Sharon. Um, I, saw, I saw a flash. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's let 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 Sister Sharon Hayes speak, and then I'm gonna ask you to close us out. And before I close out with uh, any last comments from uh, Professor West, and I just want to make sure that I acknowledge and really thank you so much for being with us and and for this powerful lesson. 
on the history of African-American um, and, and the, the role of God in our lives and, and in the church, um, our role in the church and in the world today. Uh, Mar Marjorie, I also asked you to make some comments. I, I'll let Sister Hayes go before me, Elder, and then I'll speak briefly. Thank you. Okay, uh, good evening. Uh, I'm um, Dr. West, as usual, I've always enjoyed your conversation. I'm Director of Social Justice at Christ Temple Church in Harlem, New York, and you know, uh, Bishop Clark. And I was just, some of this history I was very familiar with, and some of the history you fine tuned for me. And I have one question for you. It's a comment, but it's also a question. Uh, as I was thinking, I said, and, you know, how do you, in light of the um, Ethiopian expectation exodus uh, and the divine impartiality and a racial oneness, how does this, how does this inform Black churches in terms of the present state of institutional racism that we are experiencing? The grounding um, that you certainly give is I'm familiar with the back with the exodus. Uh, expectation, but I just want to get your idea. Where do you see this going in light of what we understand about these, these, these four principles that you're supporting? How does that inform how we look now at uh, racial institutional racism? And where do you think the black church can go with this? Um, uh, yes, um, uh, Sister Hayes, um, uh, thank you for your question. Um, in some ways, um, I think you're better uh, equipped to answer um, uh, uh, that question that I am, it is in a way, a, a, you know, a prosthetic question, right? <laughs> um, it is a question uh, not so much about the past as it is about, uh, 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 about the future. Um, uh, so, um, uh, you know, you, um, uh, uh, you, you, you come from the prosthetic tradition. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly, um, I think, um, you know, the, um, the, um, the idea um, that um, our struggle is, is just, um, uh, that um, we, are, um, we are on the side of right and we're on the side of truth. Um, um, uh, uh, that um, uh, that God is not impartial in human affairs. Um, uh, that God is positively on the side of uh, those who are pursuing truth and justice, um, as we know we are. Um, you know that um, you know for the believer um, is, uh, is 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 a powerful motivator. Um, it has motivated people in the past, um, uh, continues to motivate them now, and I think will do so in the future. In, 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 in the future. Um, uh, so um, uh, I think that is the element that um, believers, um, in this case, specifically Christian believers, um, uh, uh, bring to the struggle uh, uh, for black liberation. Um, they they uh, uh, they bring their faith and they bring uh, the, uh, the theology of liberation, if you like. Um, that's what um, uh, that's what we are engaged in here, and that's what we um, we need to um, to continue to promote. And I'm sure that that's what you are doing in um, uh, uh, in your official capacity at Christ Temple Church. Uh, Thank you, Doctor. We'll, we'll keep talking. Yes, definitely. <laughs> we'll keep talking. 
So, so thank you for the invitation, Elder Seals, to, to have a word. And uh, I, I'll just say very briefly that um, I, it just never ceases to amaze me, the work and the thoughtfulness and the clarity with which my brother is able to share these truths that uh, unfortunately we don't often hear in many black churches. Um, of course, we are looking forward to glory, but we have a work to do while we're here. And unless we have a good understanding of how to base that work and what defines that work, we won't be as effective as we could be. So I think my brother helped us tonight to further that understanding and therefore further the work along those lines. I'll just say on a personal note, I couldn't be more proud of my brother. I know he doesn't like me to say this kind of thing publicly or even privately, but I, I must say our parents in glory are, I'm sure, are so grateful for what he offers to the struggle in his own way, uh, in terms of his teaching and writing. And I couldn't be more blessed to have someone with whom I'd say at least on a weekly basis, I can uh, tap into for a deeper understanding of these kinds of matters. Uh, we've been talking like this, he and I, since we were teenagers landed in the city of Chicago and realized that this world is not our home and certainly the US is not. So um, we've been trying to find Africa for a long time. And if yeah. only in our hearts, if only in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Michael. Um, thank you. Um, thank you, sister. Um, Hallelujah. Well, we're going we're gonna to go to um, Sister Evangelist, Mother Curleen, uh, and then um, um, and, uh, Angela Nunez, uh, Nunez is saying you're a tremendous blessing, and you truly are. Professor West, and we need to acknowledge that um, you give you give clarity for the purpose of why there's so much kickback in America around uh, the, the the critical race theory. Um, the depth of that knowledge is so empowering uh, that there are there are bodies in America that do not want us to be aware, nor spiritually aware of the power that's in us. And, and that's one of the cries and, and, and one of the pillars of strength of these men that you refer to. And, and I'm sure there are other African-American women who, who have paved the path, um, were devoted, but they had an intimacy with God, but they had a boldness that only God could give them to do that, to sacrifice their lives, because uh, it was beyond just what they wanted to do. And that's what I think you have shared with us tonight, is that is, it, is in, it is ingrained in us, and what's missing in America today in the black church is our intimacy in prayer, both in the church and in our personal homes, because we are the church. And, and I thank you for this education and the, the sensitivity and the power of, of what God has done in our lives it needs to be said over and over and over again. But it's related to our relationship with God and not waiting on the pastors or the fathers in the Catholic church to pray for us. We have to have that that relationship on our own. 
And we're misleading people if we don't get them to a place where you need to pray. I'm not going to pray for you if you're not going to continue to pray. Because there comes a point that we have to make people understand it's your responsibility to open your heart as he's standing at our doors. And there's no power, there's no bread in Bethlehem, there's no bread in the, in the churches of people of African-American descent. You have so much power spiritually quickening in us that the world is, is, is you're, you're really resisted by the world because of this power of the spirit that he just spoke of that overcomes every generation we still overcome. We, and, and I heard you clearly say that there is a place in, a, in, in God's world and in God's way that you could be down one minute and up another. And I do believe there's a remnant of leaders coming in America and across the world that look like you and I, who have hearts after God to do the will of God and to bring people together with all the different gifts for the glory of God. Uh, Evangelist Mother Curleen West, please, thank you so much for inviting your brother and sharing with me and get, getting him on. He said, I have to negotiate with him. I will be in touch. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, because it's important that as, as this podcast is, is if, if, as we follow God, to, to, to know that God will give us whatever resources, I'm speaking faith, whatever resources we need to get you back and to bring people closer together. Uh, that's that's um, what God has given me as the mantle of prayer and teaching his word. And whatever that's going to take to get that done, I, I have committed the rest of my life to do that. And mm -hmm. so I, I beckon all of you to, uh, wherever your relationship is in with God, it ain't enough. So I challenge you. I challenge every pastor to make prayer, not, not book clubs, not social groups, none of that. Make prayer priority number one in your church and watch what happens in this world. We haven't seen the likes of it. Uh, let me shut up. Uh, uh, evangelist. <laughs> uh, praise, the mm -hmm. praise the Lord. I am so grateful to my baby brother. And I'm so Amen. grateful to all of you who, when I send out the text, all of you came on. And I am so grateful. Uh, we even have people from Canada on the line. Hallelujah. So I am just so happy. So happy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Uncle Mikey. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you, Auntie. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Uncle Mikey. That's, that's what a lot of people call me, Auntie. So thank you, Uncle Mikey. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Pastor Warren. Thank you. Thank you, Elder Tis. Thank thank you so much. Thank you. I cannot say thank you enough. And I have my friend Elder Tisdale on. Uh, and yeah. my sister, my dear sister, thank you. Ed, Ed he's a renowned, a world-renowned architect. My neighbor, thank you, Ed. Um, but um, Evangelist Tidsdale is on. Would you mind for the space for me to? Could she do it, um, my dear friend, Elder Tidsdale? Yes. Uh, Elder Tidsdale, would you mind? 
And we got Sister Evangelist Jean Green Blair, who's been a guest on oh, our podcast. Yes, Florida. Yes, yes. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Jean. Uh, yeah, she's from Florida. Um, so I'm not sure if Elder Tinsdale. She's still on mute. Are you? Are you on Elder Tinsdale? Yeah, I'm still here. I, I'm I'm live and present. I got us on um, on on. I took it off the speaker so we could hear uh, and see everybody. It's on gallery. Um, Elder uh, Evangelist Jean Green Blair, uh, and let me ask Professor Michael: Is there any closing thoughts you'd like to give us before you we close out? Um, uh, no, sir. I think I have. Um, I think I have said enough. Um, uh, and, and I want to thank you for your invitation and thank all of you who have um, uh, come on to uh, uh, to be part of this program. Amen. The, the cup runneth over. I got my bread and my donut dunking it, so it's all right. It's overflow. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to break protocol and ask um, Sister Jean Blair, who has been so oh, there, Sister Tisdale. Hey, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm um, doing double duty. Mother, I'm, that's all right. Mother Carlene <laughs> has asked that you would give some comments, and then we're gonna. I'm gonna ask uh, Jean Evangelist Jean Green Blair, who's been so supportive to this ministry, as she closes us in prayer. And thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Carol, and well, all uh, of you that are Jimmy Carpenter, Pastor Carpenter. Thank you. Go right ahead. Okay, well, I, I, I apologize. So I was in and out, and then I was on a little bit later, but the, the information that I briefly received, I, thank you so much, uh, uh, Professor, uh, for that, uh, that information. And I do, I apologize because I'm, I've been going back and forth doing some things, so sorry. But God bless you all. God bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're going to turn it over to Evangelist Green. I just felt in my spirit, and I love praying, but I just felt uh, something in your spirit. Give us a brief prayer, because I know you can go for a half an hour. So just do us a brief prayer and close us out and, and fill up. And so we can fill up Professor Mike, uh, Michael to continue on the battlefield for the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Chisholm. Thank you very much, Pastor Seals, and God bless you all. Thank you, Michael. I haven't seen you in many, 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 many years. I'm glad to see you and hear you tonight. Let bow your heads with me, everyone. Let us talk to the God who is for one and for all. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We adore you. We appreciate you. I am so glad and I know I'm speaking on behalf of the congregation tonight, that Lord, you are the impartial God you are. Your love surpasses every barrier. Oh my God, Lord Jesus Christ, you made us all as of one blood. And oh my God, you're coming back for your church. Lord Jesus Christ, I am so glad it's just as man, we have made up these walls of partition. But oh my God, you have shed your blood to break them down. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are aware of what is going on. And thank you, Lord God, that you you have brought us together in your name and through your blood. Oh, I have not enough 
thanks to give you tonight. We appreciate you. We love you. We adore you. We are so glad you are a God of variety. Lord Jesus Christ, you made many different things, many colors. Lord Jesus, you are such a, a variety God. And we appreciate you for that. Man can't understand it. Man get confused about it. Man fight about these things. But Lord God, you are one and you want us to be one like you. And I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for what you have done. Thank you for everyone on this platform tonight. Thank you for what we have heard. But most of all, Lord God, that you are impartial. You, God, that stick with me tonight. And I'm so glad that we are reminded that you are impartial. And oh, God Almighty, when it comes to you, all you require is holiness because you said without which no man regardless of our color shall see you without holiness so i thank you tonight lord jesus for the job you have done you are you have done a great work and as we are about to part from each other lord god almighty i thank you lord god that we can still be united one in heart one in doctrine one in the blood of jesus i bless you know and all the praise I all the glory we are satisfied to see you glorified Lord thank you now again and again in your precious name amen thank you Jesus amen. thank you Jesus thank you Jesus we're going to end now thank and Woo. Professor Mike thank you once again next week our guest is um, uh, Bishop Ray Lee, Church of God in Christ uh, in America, Inc. And they're having a holy convocation. So we're gonna be doing something a little different and uh, don't have all the details from him and the, his uh, host, his guests rather, but um, uh, they're having their convocation and we're gonna cover a couple of days of their convocation live on our podcast, something different for us. And so to all of you, once again, I can't thank you enough, Professor uh, West, for your brilliant um, uh, dissertation and teaching to us. Um, I'd love to be closer so I could get in that class. Uh, there's so much you've taught me tonight. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. To all of you, God bless you. Uh, Minister Xavier Rogers, God bless you. Thank you for the history on the Indians and African-Americans uh, in, 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 uh, in Florida. Uh, but we thank all of you. God speed, keep you. Uh, until we meet again, God is always present. Amen. Peace Amen. 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 If anyone Amen. on the line ever would like to be a guest, write us. The information is on the Facebook page. This will be posted in a few minutes uh, on our blog page, and you can click the link and you will see it. The link will give you direct access to this video, and it's worth going back to study. Amen. Thank you again. Peace and blessings. Lion heart. Amen. Night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. It was a good night. Love you, Mike. Hey there. How are you? Love you, cuz.